Well, it's been a full morning this morning. I'm very grateful for everybody participating and worshiping the Lord together. I'm mostly grateful for you. God has graced us with really strong connections with one another. And I am famous for saying we're a spiritual family. We're more like a family than an organization. An organization is something that is an entity recognized by government, but a family is something ordained by God. And so as a spiritual family, it's fun to come together and hear from so many different ones and hear what God is stirring up in them. We're still looking at the resurrected Jesus and we're famous for anticipating an event, but we don't know how to sustain one very well. So as I said last week, I'm on a mission to help us stay in this season of Easter, Easter tide. As well as we look forward to it, I want us to be able to sustain it. So let's not move too quickly from his resurrection, from that story and its implications that Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. It's in his resurrection where we find the most enduring hope because that's where we find Jesus himself. Like Augustine, the famous church father wrote, Jesus is leading you along because he has become your hope. You are now walking towards the hope of the resurrection, but if our head, who is Jesus, had not risen first, the other members of the body would find nothing to hope for. But we have everything to hope for because he did raise from the dead. And our hope is in him, Jesus. So we want to deeply consider how the resurrected Jesus not only defeated death in the grave, but also how he came back to meet his disciples, meet them where they were in their grief, in their fear, in their doubts, and in their failure. He met Mary, we talked about her a couple weeks ago, whose sorrow seemed to cripple her faith. And then last week, we saw how he met 10 of his disciples whose fear had pummeled their faith even further. And today, as you've already heard, we're gonna look at how he met Thomas, whose disbelief virtually destroyed his faith, for he flatly refused to believe the witness of his fellow disciples. But Jesus is going to meet Thomas and address his doubt just as he's done with the others, just as he does for us. Look at John chapter 20 and verse 24 as we read along. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side i will never believe verse 26 eight days later his disciples were inside again and thomas was with them although the doors were locked jesus came and stood among them and said peace be with you where have we heard that before Seems like a lot of peace needs to be distributed among these guys, and rightly so. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, 
but believe. Or as one translation says, stop doubting and believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God, Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So you probably know that Thomas has a bit of a reputation. He's famous, or we're famous, for calling him Doubting Thomas. But that's a little like the pot calling the kettle black. Because we all doubt, don't we? When you, when you read the story, sure, you understand why Thomas got this reputation. But I'm not sure it's altogether fair. Thomas demonstrated other traits throughout his following of Jesus. When Jesus, for example, told his disciples that he was heading back to Judea to see Lazarus, you remember the story. Lazarus had been sick. They called for Jesus. Jesus delayed. Then, Jesus, then Lazarus died, and all of a sudden Jesus stands up and says, it's time to go see about Lazarus, for he sleeps. And they're like, Jesus, if he's asleep, he'll wake up. Don't worry. But Jesus knows there's something more. But in the midst of all of that conversation, they try to convince him, don't go back there. Those Jews there are trying to kill you. But it was Thomas in the midst of this conversation who piped up and he said, let's all go that we may die with him. Now you'd, you'd think after a comment like that, that what Thomas would be remembered for is something more like, Thomas the brave, not Thomas the doubter. But of course, the emotional toil of this uh, last week and the, that, that had gone on from the point of Jesus's arrest and then crucifixion and burial, it left Thomas dazed and hurt and bitter. And he's, he's almost numb with the trauma. And by the time Sunday rolls around, he can't even manage to be with the others. He's the only one of the 11 that isn't there when Jesus first appears. So when Thomas shows back up, they naturally are excited to tell him. They're ecstatic, but he'll have nothing of it. I can imagine that Thomas is, is saying something like, have you guys lost your minds? I, I can't even believe what you're saying. Y your grief is causing you to see things, see ghosts. Jesus is dead. I saw it with my own eyes. And maybe a little of me died with him. But he's dead. And the sooner you accept that fact, the better off you'll be. You know, the same way Thomas's earlier moment of bravery didn't totally define him, I think this moment of doubt shouldn't define him either. We all have moments that we're proud of, and we have more moments that we're not. Reading this story shouldn't result in us judging Thomas for his doubt any more than we rewarded him for his bravery. It should help us understand that being in the presence of Jesus increases faith and it brings out the best, while being apart from Jesus triggers doubt and brings out the worst. Thomas is indignant, and he, he lashes out words that have an edge to them. He's like, look, guys, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my hand in his side, I will never believe. You ever say things that make you regret what you said or say things to make a point, but in the end, the point you're making is really about you? 
We can be so quick to speak, but our words can box us in. They, they stake out territory that we're not able to defend. Our life becomes the illustration more than what we were originally trying to say. And that's what happens to Thomas. What he's trying to make emphatic point of is really not the point. His doubt is the point. I really feel for Thomas, though, in this moment because I have made so many over-the-top declarative statements, rash words that I wish that I could reel back in. It's, it's because of this tendency to talk before we think or to blabber about things that we don't know what we're talking about that James, the brother of Jesus, who was an early leader in the Jerusalem church, wrote these words to us. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Those words are really good to live by, and I wish that we did that more often. Slow to speak. Well, Thomas, he's flown off the handle with his brothers, but apparently he cools down because the next week we see him eating with them in the same locked room. There's a, there's a recurring theme going on here. So here's Thomas, the doubter and the brave, who didn't believe the other disciples' testimony, but yet he is still there. He's hanging around with the other 10. He could have left him and gone back to his former life, but no, he's there with them. And even though he spoke such harsh words, I think deep down, Thomas really wants to be proven wrong. He wants to believe, even though he has refused to. And it makes me think how many times we hear people say things like that. I've heard people say, I really want to believe what you're telling me is true. I just can't. I really want to, I just can't. Even though they've refused to believe deep down, their deepest desire is that it would be true. And so these other 10 guys, they give Thomas all the room to be with them, even in his doubt. An unbeliever in the middle of those filled with resurrection hope. That's what Thomas was. They as disciples who had seen Jesus, realized their claims were probably pretty far-fetched. They were, they were outlandish. They were scandalous, if you will. To the uninitiated, it was absurd what had been revealed to them. So they patiently made room for Thomas. They didn't force him to believe. They made room for him until the Lord made it real for him. I wonder, as disciples filled with resurrection hope today in the 21st century, how patient or skilled are we in making room for those who are yet to believe? For those who doubt, for those who are asking questions, do we make place for them or do we force them to go outside the walls? I realize this sort of thing can be messy and I'll, I'll admit that it's not always easy. It requires a robust conviction in our own hearts, and it requires a dynamic community that we're planted in to be able to weather these kinds of questions and doubts that may be raised by even those that want to come around. But it can be done. We can firmly stand on the truth of our own beliefs while still being patient, 
and still giving grace and making room for those who have questions, for those yet to believe. So that's what Thomas is doing. He's there with them, in the middle of them, and they're making room for him. And suddenly, Jesus is there too. <laughs> Jesus has a knack for just showing up, even when the door's locked. And he's now again standing right there among them, and he conveys the same message. Shalom, speaking the same words. Peace be with you. Can, can you imagine what Thomas felt? I mean, if it had been me, I might have just passed out. All the, all, the, all the blood draining from my head, complete shock, horror with remembering what you had just said. And then Jesus zeroes in on Thomas. He looks right at him and he's like, Thomas, come see my hands. Here, put your finger right here. And then he, he pulls back his outer garment and he says, come on, reach out your hand, put it into my side. Man, that's the dramatic moment. That's the big money time right there. Thomas is, he's stunned. He's frozen in place. He's now fully aware that when he was spewing out all of his incredulous words, Jesus heard them too. We might be reminded that when we're spewing out faithlessness and unbelief, and incredulous words, Jesus still hears those. But even though Jesus speaks plainly to Thomas in such a poignant, confrontational way, what he says to him is without malice or sarcasm. He's not trying to shame Thomas. He's setting Thomas free. He's showing his own wounds to heal the wounds in Thomas's heart. And, and that's what Jesus is still doing for us today. He's showing us his wounds in order to heal ours. And then he adds the most powerful command that could ever be heard. He says, stop doubting and believe. Be not unbelieving. The Greek word is apistos, but believing, pistos. So apistos, not believing or unbelieving, Pistos believing, the direct opposite, two ends of the spectrum. He says, don't doubt, but rather believe. When you look at that word, unbelieving, apistos, it can also be seen in this verse in Acts 26, when the Apostle Paul was making his defense before King Agrippa. And he said this, why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead. Now that word incredible is the same Greek word apistos for unbelieving. Unbelieving, incredible. Now, I tell you, as I'm studying this, it makes me rethink how many times I use that word incredible in my daily life. But I think I need to go ahead and make an adjustment, maybe reassess the usage of that word so much because I don't want to be the kind of person who sees inexplicable things and only thinks of them as incredible, as though I don't believe. I want to live my life as one who knows that all things are possible 
to him who believes. Stop doubting and believe. Now, I'm sure Thomas is weeping by now, and I bet everyone else in the room is weeping too because, you see, they know they've doubted also. They know they had doubts and skepticism. They know that they haven't fully believed like they should, so everyone's in tears. And I can imagine Thomas didn't really need to touch the scars or place his hand into Jesus' side, but I bet Jesus touched him. I bet he reached out his hand and put it on his shoulder. And that moment that Jesus touched Thomas, Thomas dropped to his knees. And he said in awe and wonder, in revelation and resolve, he said the most profound confession ever found in all of the Bible. The one who doubted made the best confession ever to be made. My Lord and my God. Thomas is no longer a doubter. Thomas is a believer. And Jesus says, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This wasn't that Thomas wasn't blessed. Of course he was blessed. He was one of the chosen, one of the ones Father had given to Jesus. And Jesus wasn't going to lose any of them. He would even make a special trip to address Thomas's doubts, confront his objections, and reset his faith. But what blessing that Jesus speaks of is one for you and for me, for the person who has not seen the resurrected Jesus with their eyes. But as Steve mentioned earlier, because of the Holy Spirit, we still see him and believe. We're blessed. Maybe the most beautiful thing about this story of Thomas is what happens after all of this. After Jesus had ascended to his Father and the Holy Spirit had come upon them with power, church tradition tells us that Thomas preaches in ancient Babylon near the Tigris and Euphrates River. That's the modern-day Iraq. And then tradition tells us that he traveled to Persia, present-day Iran, and continues to win disciples to the Christian faith. And then church tradition tells us that he sails on to south to Malabar, which is on the west coast of India in 52 AD, where he preaches and establishes churches. And when the Portuguese land in India in the early 1600s, they find a group of Christians there, the Mar Toma Church, which was established through Thomas's preaching 1500 years before. Finally, Thomas travels to the east coast of India where he is still preaching the gospel message and there he is martyred in 72 AD. This Thomas, who had so rashly declared his doubts and unbelief, in the end carried the Christian message of love and forgiveness and hope to the ends of the earth. So maybe he really was Thomas the Brave.